0: Crazy. You know, I still pinch myself that I get to do this. This is amazing. Not bad for a guy with an economics degree. I'll tell you that. Well, it's a treat to be in front of you. You know, Jamie uh, was traveling at the end of the week and he was got in late yesterday, and so he's actually preaching this morning over at the chapel, and all the venue guys have gotten together and they're praying in their own venues on topic. So we're staying in the adjustment series, and so it's just a treat. I just I just pinch myself every time that I that you come and that you listen and maybe get a couple giggles, but maybe walk out of here with something that's going to change you. And so that's my hope and my prayer today for you all. And so first of all, I was going to say, I want to say a big congratulations, Caleb back in the sound booth. Everybody look back there, your hands. <laughs> Caleb never wants to be recognized. Well, actually, the sound good sound guy is never recognized, Right. Well, he got married last Saturday, and he is here this Sunday, and so he cut his honeymoon short so that he could work, and so that is sacrifice and dedication, so I appreciate that. It's fun, that song we sang in Christ Alone, you know, uh, and, and you're in for a treat. If you've never witnessed or been a part of the Gettys... I I was able to play with them one time, and it was just her voice is like an angel. I mean, we were playing, and all of a sudden, I could hear her voice coming from somewhere, and it was angelic. And so, I would encourage you to come. And also for our night of worship, I really hope you come. I want to fill this place, and we're having a little meal afterwards. I hope you join us; that'd be a lot of fun. But that in Christ alone. When we were in Belarus just a few weeks ago, we were there for church, and we had this worship service, and. We sang that song, and what well, they sang it in Russian, of course, and we did our best to sing it in Irish, uh, but it was just amazing to think, so here are these Americans, and here are these Belarusians in this place singing an Irish hymn in Christ alone. It just it just it just it just remind me how big our God is and how cool our God is and so. Anyways, with all that being said, uh, we're staying in the series which I mentioned earlier and that's a good thing. I I love this passage of scripture. I don't know if you guys have after Sunday do you go home and read it? I hope you do. I hope you go and read through what we're studying right now because this is kind of an interesting piece of scripture. And this adjustment series really has to do. I think Jamie set it up well with it was, it's that old analogy that if you're just one degree off, it may not seem like a big deal at the beginning, but over time you end up getting way off. And I think our spiritual lives are that way. We could be kind of slugging it out. Oh, there's Sarah. I mean, Caleb, Sarah is going to go there. I just saw her. So congratulations. <laughs> Thanks for cutting your honeymoon short and being here too. So. <laughs> so. But if you're just one degree off in life, um, you know, I think our spiritual lives that way, we could be knocking it out of the park about 80%, you know, getting a good solid B, which in college I would have satisfied with a good solid B. But just being one degree off or even 20% off by the end of the the year or five years or 10 years now, you're way off. And so what Jesus is doing in these last days of his life, and this is what this is, I don't know if you guys have caught it, but. John chapter 12 is just a, a pretty important passage. It's where he's ridden into town on a donkey. And everybody is seen Hosanna in the highest. This is God. This is the Messiah. This is who we've been waiting for. And they're all excited. They're, they're laying down their coats, and they're laying down their palm branches. And the, the crowds are going crazy. It's a big Passover uh, festival that's going on. There's 250,000 people have come to Jerusalem. There's just a lot of excitement going on. But in just six days later, those same people are going to be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And I just find that just amazing. What happened over those six days or so? And we hear God speaking through Jesus in some pretty intimate ways in which he's trying to capture our attention. He's, I think he's thinking, I've only got a little bit more time with these people. I want them to take home some, some precious nuggets. And so what you're getting right now in this adjustment series are these precious nuggets that really are adjusting our life, really orienting us closer to him. You know, he's spending time maybe maybe questioning the way we think about him, maybe thinking the way we behave around him, maybe thinking of what way we behave and relate to others. And what I would argue, too, is is he's also adjusting maybe our understanding of him as well. But ultimately, what he's trying to do to these Jews and these Greeks, so you have believers, non-believers, you just have this conglomeration of people which we kind of have here today. He's really seeking to get us back on track or for those of us who weren't ever on the track, pointing us to the track. And so people, when they're dying in their last days, they say important words. And so these are these words that you're getting today from Jesus. And if we take a quick look back at the adjustments that we've already covered, the first one was this special precious time that Mary would have with Jesus where she broke out her finest perfume and would wash Jesus' feet with it. That was something that you would save to maybe help with the embalming process and when someone would die, but she didn't want to wait. She wanted to use it then, and Judas got upset because he said, hey, why would you waste this expensive perfume on on?" On his feet, and 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 so we see this adjustment from a need-based giving to God-based giving. And Jesus says, "She's giving from her heart. She's giving everything that she has right now." The second adjustment that Jamie talked about was that time of coming into uh, Bethany, there where he's riding this donkey, and we're singing, and we're just yelling, and we're all excited that he's here, and because they think of what he's going to do for them. He's going to be the, the the Davidic Messiah. He's going to take charge of the political throne and right all the wrongs, and he's saying, ah, that's not why I'm coming. I'm coming to satisfy you eternally, and so it went from what Jesus can do for you to what Jesus has done for you, and then the big one last week that I know I had to wrestle with, and it's just something that you have to wake up every single morning and realize that I have to lose my life. I have to die to myself. Many versions of our Bible say we have to hate ourselves in order to gain eternal life. and We have this war that goes on in our sides and our sides inside of us that we just war with ourselves. And he reminds us that the adjustment we have to make is we gotta lose ourselves in order to gain eternal life. And the one today is gonna be an encouraging one, I think. It's also gonna be one in which is gonna challenge us a little bit. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with you uh, this morning. I'm going to ask you a question right now, and this is going to lead us into this time this morning as what our adjustment is going to be coming out of today. And you don't have to answer, just answer in your head, but is, or is God at work around you right now? Are you experiencing him right now? Are you seeing him? Are you hearing him? Is he in regular contact with you? Do you see his work at your work? Do you see his work in your home? Do you see his work with your family? Do you see his work at your school, at the grocery store? Do you see his work and do you go, oh, I know that's God. I know that's God. That's the question we're going to wrestle with today because this leads us into a passage of scripture where people have missed God, the supernatural God engaging into our natural lives. And that will be the adjustment that will come out of here today. We're going to spend some time in a lot of scripture, but most of our time will be spent in a little bit of scripture because the only thing standing between me and the barbecue are the words that the Lord is going to speak to me today. And so be patient, be understanding. It's funny, the barbecue, I was with, um, I'm helping coach a baseball team right now, and I was with a group of them yesterday. and I hope you know these barbecues are meant for us to hang out as a family and just fellowship together. That's a church world that just means we hang out and eat together and tell stories, talk about football games. And how about that North Dakota, North Dakota State beating Iowa? Ooh, crazy. Caleb. His family's from North Dakota. He is walking about 12 feet high this morning. But I was talking about these barbecues because partly these barbecues are meant, hey, invite a neighbor invite a friend over. See that church is maybe not what they thought it was being. And so I was inviting some of these people over to church today. And I was like, oh, you got to come. It's a barbecue day. And they said, oh, what are you barbecuing? And the theme is Italian today. <laughs> and so, so I said, oh, we're doing Italian food. And they said, how do you barbecue Italian food? I said, well, If you take the pasta really carefully and lay it on there. So anyways, we're going to spend a little bit of time in just a few verses. But before we do, I want to pray and I want to lay this time before the Lord that he would illuminate these passages that we're going to look at today. And they're probably passages you've read before, but I want them to hit us all right between the eyes today as we hear God speak to us this morning. So let's, let's join and pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this day. Um, Lord, it's a day that you've made, and we will truly rejoice in it. And it's a day in which we are glad because we get to put away the distractions of our day and maybe the trials that we're in the middle of and uh, just resonate on what you're going to speak to us today. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth will truly be your words and that uh, you would speak exactly the message that you want these that are in attendance today to hear. Lord, we thank you for your word because that is one of the greatest ways we have to see you. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning through your word. And we give you all the glory as we will read in just a few moments. Our purpose is to bring you glory. And so, Lord, may you receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if those of you who have your Bibles, and I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. And if you have those electronic devices, you can pull them up there too. But I want you to turn to John chapter 12. And if you haven't brought it and and your electronic device is frozen or something like that, we have them up on the screen. I'm going to read the whole passage for you so you kind of get a sense of what's going on. And then, like I said, we're going to spend most of our time in just a few verses because as you will come to see and know about me, I'm just a simple guy who likes to have you walk away from here with just not much clutter your mind, but just one thing that you can walk out of today. But I'm going to begin in verse 27 and go all the way through verse 36, and so you can read along with me in your hearts and in your minds. Jesus is speaking, and he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this, has, this voice has come for your sake and not mine. For a little while longer, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons, or in some of your versions, they'll say children of light. Well the reason I start with this passage and the reason I start with now is my soul troubled and Jamie spoke a little bit about it last week but I felt it necessary to go back there right now. And the reason why cuz last week we we left off with losing ourselves, dying to ourselves, hating ourselves and so we see this beautiful transition of where Jesus has told us we need to die to ourselves in order to receive eternal life. And immediately we see Jesus modeling that for us to where he will be dying, but not dying for himself, but dying for ourselves. And we get invited into this intimate conversation that Jesus is going to have with his father. Jesus is both fully man and fully God, something we can't grasp. Jesus is fully man. That means he experiences everything that we experience on our natural level. Yet he is also God, which means he experiences things at an entirely different level, a supernatural level. And he's expressing, I think, some real human words to his father. Now my soul is troubled. You know, Jesus sees the future. He's that big church word called omnipresent, which he operates out of time and space that we can't even make sense of, yet he can engage with us in moments in time, but he can see the future. And your first inclination, because you know the rest of the story, what happens to him in the next couple of days, he's hung on a cross. And so one might say, well, he's troubled because he knows the future and he knows the pain in which he is going to experience by being led to that cross. The beatings, the whippings, the insults, ultimately those nails that would be driven into his hands, that he's thinking about that and he's troubled. But I think it's more to it than that. And I think I'm glad that he knows the future and I don't. I think sometimes we wanna know the future and we wanna know what the rest of the story is and what's so funny is we worry so much about things that will never happen in the future that can you imagine if we did know the future? It drives me nuts when I see all these psychics and people who can tell the future out there and I just, I just scratch my head and go, you can't tell the future. You don't know the future. You know, I think, why aren't the psychics winning the lotto all the time? I just want to see that in the newspaper. Psycho wins lottery again. No, psycho. Sorry. <laughs> That was a slip. But, but he can see the future. But I don't think it is the pain and the disco- uh, discomfort that he is going to experience on a human level like we would. If we knew the future, I think we would be very fearful of what was going to happen to us. You know what he's troubled about and what he's stirred about? And in a couple days later, you'll hear a similar prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he begins to pray to the Father and he asks... Similar questions that he's going to ask here two days just before the garden. He's troubled because there's going to come a time in which the weight of the world, the weight of sin, is going to be placed on his shoulders. Being fully man and fully God, he is fully without sin. And he's had this perfect communion with his father and the Holy Spirit since the beginning of time and before time. This perfect union that was without sin. And yet for a moment in time, for our behalf, he would be receiving all of that sin. In fact, in the garden we talked about the trouble that he experienced, it was this weight of sin that presses down so hard on him that blood would begin to come out of his skin. I think he was troubled because this, for the first time in his life, He's going to experience this sin, our sin. And for a moment in time, because you know the rest of the story on the cross when he says, Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a moment in time where that perfect union between God and Jesus is broken for just a moment because God cannot be in the presence of sin. So we're seeing a very honest Jesus right now praying to his father, and explaining this troubledness that he's experiencing, this stirring, this physical tension that he has in his life. And we're getting a glimpse of it, which is unbelievable to see. He immediately asks a question, just like he does in the garden. He says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? In the garden, he does the exact same thing. He says, if there's another way for this to happen, let it happen. But just like in the garden, just like now, because his relationship with God is so close, he immediately answers that question. And he says, It's but for this purpose I have come to this hour. And this hour, you've heard that word before, it's earlier on in Jesus' ministry. We're seeing the last days of his ministry. But at the beginning of his ministry, do you remember what the very first miracle Jesus performed? Water into wine, right? And his mother, they're at a wedding feast in Cana, and his mother comes, and Jesus says, we've run out of wine. Is there something you could do? And Jesus says, mother or woman, my hour has not come. That was leading him through his ministry of miracles and signs and teachings, but now we read, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And this hour is the hour of his impending death. But I love that he doesn't rest at all in this questioning time. He immediately knows what his purpose is. And that's what we continue to read in verse 28. He says, Father, glorify your name. Jesus' purpose on earth was to free us from the bondages of sin, to remove evil from our presence so that we could be reunited with God. And God, who created us, God, since the beginning of time, has had his hand on you, that he would be glorified, that the creation would reveal the creator, that the visible would reveal the invisible. And we're in this precious time where God is responding, and he knows his purpose is to glorify God in heaven. And then we hear something that doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's usually a big deal. And we read, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, this voice says, and I will glorify it again. What we're hearing is this intimate conversation where Jesus recognizes his role is to glorify the Father and the Father reminds him and all of us, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. That first glorify is really, I have brought Jesus into the world for you. So I have glorified it. In the beginning. If you remember, there was that time when uh, Jesus was born and the angels were around the uh, shepherds and they said, uh, Glory to God in the highest. The Savior is born today in Bethlehem. That first glorify is the incarnation, the, the, the Jesus becoming flesh before us. And then he says, I will glorify it again. And that again is coming in the coming days where he will be hung on a cross. And he would rise from the dead once and for all. The greatest miracle we would ever know. And so this voice from heaven speaks. But listen to how the crowd responded. And this is where we're gonna spend probably most of our time today because I wonder how often we are like this crowd. In fact, when I used to teach over at the school, I would put our students into situations like this, where I'd say, okay, imagine you're in this scenario, and you hear this voice, or you were under this temptation. How would you handle it? And they would always answer the right way, and say, oh, I would never do that. And I said, you're a liar. You're a sinner. No, I wouldn't be that harsh. But I would say, I wonder if we would act the same way. But look up here on verse 29. It says, the crowd stood there and heard it, heard that voice, and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And then Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake and not mine. Here we see and here we hear God, the supernatural God, meeting us on our natural level. What we can see, touch, feel, experience, and they missed it. And the question I asked you earlier on that I wanted you to just kind of sit on and hang out with was, is God still active today? Is God still speaking to us? Is God still audibly having a voice come down to us? It's funny. I remember an old joke. It goes something like this. It says, when we pray to God or when we speak to God, it's called prayer. When God speaks to us, it's called schizophrenia. People say they hear God's voice all the time, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen on that day. But they missed it. They missed it for some reason. And so what I immediately said was, okay, how does this apply to our lives, and, and how do we read this? Because I truly believe that God is at work at all times around us, all the time, wherever we are, that we miss it. Now, being adults, we, we we like to explain away maybe some of these supernatural things. And I'm not talking about, and I'm trying not to get real mystic with tea leaves and clouds and things like that, but I think God engages us. There's God sightings in our life all the time, and we just kind of write it off. You know, as adults, we're really good at that. We we kind of explain away the obvious. Kids are neat because Christ used to talk about the faith of the children. And when you'd ask a child this question, well, how do you put, or ask an adult this question, how do you put an elephant in a fridge? And they would explain to you why you can't put an elephant in the fridge and why the elephant's too big and the fridge is too small and and you'd have to figure out some way to coax them, even if you could, or you need a bigger fridge. They'd start explaining away just something simple. When you ask a kid that question, they just say, well, you open up the door and you put the elephant in and you close the door. It's a simple type of faith. And I think God is trying to meet us like that in a regular basis. You know, we see life in the natural. We experience touch, feel, smell, sight, and all of that. And the supernatural, when it meets us in the natural, sometimes we question it. You know, I'm not a very bright guy. In the words of Forrest Gump, I'm a simple guy. But when we started this church, I remember asking myself, Lord... What is going to be our mission for this church? And so I began to pray in my office over here, and I would go, Lord, give us vision for this church. What is going to be the vision for this church? And there was a knock on the door, and I go to the door. I go, Lord, forgive me for just a second. I go to the door, and there was a homeless guy at the door. And so I kind of take care of him and go about my thing, and I go back to my office. And I get down again, and I go, Lord... What is the vision? What is the mission for this church? What are we going to be known for? Excuse me, God, someone's knocking at the door. So I go to the door, and it's, it's a homeless family. And they're struggling with things. And we meet with them and pray with them and send them on their way. And I go back to my office, and I go, Lord, what is your mission for this church? What is the vision for this church? I, I can't see it excuse me, God, I'll be right back to you. And I go there. It's a homeless lady. And I do talk to her and we pray with her and send her on her way. And also I go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe it has something to do with the homeless in our society. Oh, I missed it. I missed it for weeks. I missed it regularly. And it was finally all of a sudden I said, oh, no, no, we need to help those that are Helpless in our community. And that's why you hear such a passion for me for the House of Refuge. That's why you hear such a passion for me for the food bank. That's why you hear a passion for me with Mentor Kids USA. That's why I want you to just get involved in this community because I really believe that's what God has spoken to us. But I got to be honest with you. I missed the voice of God for many weeks and many months until finally the knock hit me right between the eyes, and we now have a church that really embraces this community. So the big question I got to ask for you is, are you experiencing God? Are you seeing Him? Are you hearing Him in mighty and dynamic ways or in still small voices every day? Are you hearing from Him? You know, it's funny. As, as I begin to do a little work in Scripture, I, I, I end up testing out on my family. And so be thankful you're not married to me. Be thankful you're not one of my kids because I I, I try this, try that, and they're like, Dad, please just stop preaching to me. Please stop preaching to me. But it's neat when God does speak through one of them, and, and he did this week through my daughter Mackenzie. And what was neat was she's reading this book. I'm not reading this book. It's called Girl Meets God, okay? Okay. If I was reading it, it might be a little intriguing, but I wasn't. But she said, Dad, I found something in this book that I think you should let the congregation know. And it speaks to exactly what you're talking about today. Because I think sometimes we forget that God's still speaking to us. God's still speaking to us every single day. And so she pointed this out to me and I'm going to read for you just a little bit of a passage because there was a there's a unique relationship that God had with Moses where they had just ongoing communication all the time, almost a, a, just a regular conversation going on. And so this is a commentary from an Israeli rabbi why my kids read this type of stuff I have no idea but it made a lot of sense today and he describes this time in which God is telling Moses how he wants to the temple and the tabernacle built. And so, listen to this words that this rabbi is saying. He says, God tells Moses how to build a tabernacle. And God gives all the details how much wood and what kind, and how to craft candlesticks from pure gold, and how to twist together blue and purple scarlet linen for the tabernacle's ten curtains, and how to hold those curtains together with fifty golden clasps. Kitov is the commentator's name. Asks for the nature of this revelation. He says in the book of Exodus, he writes, God makes clear, and God gave the Torah once, once and forever. But the rabbis teach every day that the voice of God issues forth from Sinai. How, asks Katav can the revelation recorded in Exodus be a unique event if God's voice is always sounding forth from Sinai? Because, Kitov says, what God did at Sinai was not speak something new, but silence all the background noise that usually covers up his divine voice. God is always talking at Sinai. He talked long before the revelation of Torah, and he is talking still. If we could figure out how to tune out the buzz and hum of everything else and listen. And so the two questions we're going to wrestle with today is, are we trying to meet God on our terms? Have we placed so many things in front of God that we only call on God when we need Him? I kind of describe Him as our pocket God, to where maybe trouble exists or a crisis hits, and then all of a sudden we reach out to God and say, I want you to supernaturally engage in my life at this moment and rescue me. He's kind of that insurance God that we call upon when times are a little bit tough or we're worried. Or I like to refer to him as the drive-through God, where we go through the drive-through and we kind of come to the speaker and we give him our list of things and we hopefully pick him up around the corner. Is he our compartmentalized God? where we bring him with us on Sunday, but the second we leave from here, we leave him in this building. Is he part of every aspect of our life? Is he our heavenly superman? Does he come and rescue me when I need it? Does this mean he is only going to speak to us on our terms? And I don't think God really intends to speak to us necessarily on our terms. Supernaturally, he wants to meet us where we're at. But we've tuned him out because we've placed so many things before him just like these people who had the great benefit of being in the front face of Jesus and hearing God speak. So one thing we're wrestling with today is do we we really seek God on our terms? The second question we're looking at today is, am I hanging out where God hangs out? What types of things have I placed in front of God that keep me from hanging out where He hangs out? You know, is work so important? Is finance, our finances so important? Are our relationships so important? And and as Jamie said, these are not bad things, but they're certainly not first place things where Jesus needs to hold. Are we hanging out where he hangs out? Do we have addictions in our life? Do we have sins in our life that we'd like to go, okay, I, I like to have God here on Sunday, but when I go into that dark place on Monday, I really don't want him to enter in with me. Are we hanging out where God hangs out? Because we got to remember this truth. One of the first Bible studies I ever did was a Bible study called Experiencing God. And there's a quote up here from Henry Blackaby that says, He is always at work around us. He is always at work around us. He's just asking us and inviting us into that work. yet we don't hang out on a regular basis where he hangs out. And four easy ways that you can remember where he hangs out is up on the screen here. It's in his word, it's in the Bible. As we read these passages of scripture, you can't help but know this is God speaking to you. These words that were spoken, that that voice was not for my sake, but for your sake, you know that voice was meant for our sake today. It's through prayer, it's through this fellowship with the Lord, it's through communing with him. It's, it's not compartmentalizing him and making him just the drive through Jesus, but making him Lord of your life to where we now have this awesome privilege of being able to go into the Lord's presence in an instant. When he was crucified, the veil was torn in the tabernacle and it allowed us now access to the Holy of Holies where only a few people could go in and experience God. We now have free access to him. And prayer is this intimate way in which he speaks to us. It's through relationships. It's through my daughter, Mackenzie, who is so walking with the Lord right now that she's in tune to a book that she's reading. She says, Dad, I think this has everything to say with what you want to say this morning. It's through people in your lives that are speaking to you, encouraging you, maybe admonishing you somewhat. God uses relationships to speak to us. And then it's through our circumstances. And that's probably the one that we key on a lot because when crisis hits and when tough times happen, that's when we really want to experience God. And that's when you God kind of does his best work is when the noise the hum and the and the buzz of all of our activity of work and finances and our good health when those things are taken away or removed in some fashion and all we're holding on to is that that's when god does his best work the heart of these four things is really your closeness to, to him your closeness to him is key to seeing him is key to hearing him You know, I shared a little bit of a story with you before, and I don't want to bore you with all the details, but, you know, my life was a life in which I was walking with one foot in with the Lord and one foot in the world. And there was just this tension in my life. And when I came to Arizona, I had everything that I wanted, and I thought I wanted. Yet Jesus created this tension in my life to say, hey, I want you completely. I don't want you to just be following me 80%. And for five years, I felt this tension. And for five years, I spent time in the desert just running and trying to have my heart explode because I didn't like this tension. And I was just praying that God would give me this answer of what it was that he wanted me to do. And it was slowly this answer that would be leading me to this point today. Yet there was no answer. There was no answer. I was in the word. I was praying fervently. I was listening to other people. I was in a very tough circumstance emotionally, yet there just wasn't any answer. And I did that for five years. And some of you, you might be in a situation like that right now where you're in the word and you're praying and you're listening to people and you're walking with the Lord, but there's no answer. And I just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. It wasn't until one moment on a mountain it was very clear that the Lord spoke to me. And what I'd been doing was I'd given 80% of my life, but I hadn't given them the other 20%. And when I did, it was just miraculous and what happened, the peace that came over me. And, and that's not the main illustration story I wanted to share with you. The big one came about, oh, six months later. I'm over at the school, I've now, I've I've changed jobs to where I was the president of a company making a decent amount of money in a really nice office, Um, country club membership, nice car, a lot of things like that, everything just going for us and now I'm in an office that's surrounded with no windows, it's cinder blocks and I'm in with all the PE equipment and I can smell latex rubber and uniforms and things like that and you can actually feel the heat coming through the wall and that was my new office. And that particular first week of school, I was Mr. Nice Guy, and I was handing out balls to all the kids so they could go and play on the playground during recess. And I said, hey, just make sure you bring those balls back, okay? And so each day would build upon the other, and I would give out more balls until eventually by Friday, there were no balls left to give out. And at 3 o'clock, everybody went home from school. And I went and looked out on the field, and there were what seemed like thousands of balls, out there. And I'm thinking, those pesky kids, they gave me their word. They said they would give me these balls back. And so me being kind of an owner-type guy, real responsible, I said, well, someone's got to pick up these balls. So I went to go pick up the balls. And there was lots of them. So I knew it was going to take me a lot of time. And I began walking across the field just over here. And, And I could tell you and show you the spot on the field where I had an interaction with the devil and I had an interaction with... At a moment, the devil said to me, he said, look how far you've fallen. You were the president of a company. You had all this stuff. You had all the comfortable things that you could possibly have wanted. And now look at you, you are picking up balls. And in an instant, God spoke to me. And he said, and it wasn't an audible voice. There wasn't thunder that day, but it was very clear that he spoke to me. He said, if I can't trust you to pick up balls, and I can't trust you with anything. And at that moment, I called the principal of the school, and I said, I am so thankful to be here. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. You're picking up balls. <laughs> there were still things God needed to do in my life, but the point of that story was that I think I would have missed that had I not been walking with the Lord in my closeness to Him. And most times in our life, it's not necessarily He that's moved, it's generally we that have moved. And so I'm here to tell you, God is still speaking today and is still at work today. You know, we really don't have time to unpack all of the rest of the passage that we read through this morning, but let me take a look at these verses real quick and just so you can kind of grasp these last conversations that. Uh, Jesus is having with these folks. So in verses 31 and 33, it says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. They didn't fully grasp it just yet, but he was describing his death for them. And what his death, really the purpose of his death was twofold, to remove sin from the world, but to remove evil from the world. And what was about to happen with his death and his resurrection would be that devil that spoke to me that day out in the field would be taken care of once and for all. So that's that passage. Verse 34 is interesting, is the response of the people again. They are so confused, they're still looking for a Jewish king that's gonna come in and reign forever. And so they ask, well, who is this son of man that you're talking about? And so they're still missing the point. You know, it's funny, they've experienced Jesus. They have seen miracles, they've seen these incredible signs, they've heard his voice, and yet they're still missing it at that point. Verses 35 and 36, we hear some of the last words of Jesus's public ministry. And then he would go into seclusion and just a little bit later and spend some time with his disciples. And this is a message that's a great encouragement for us. Those are Christians and those who don't know him yet. He says that the light will be in the world for just a little bit longer. He is the light of the world. He's describing two things that's about to happen. One is his light is going to go out for a moment and then come back even brighter. But he's describing to us, our lives, that there will be a time in which there will only be light. And we have a decision to make. We don't have to be reminded that we live in a dark world. Even last night with the news that happened in New York, we don't have to be reminded that there is darkness in the world and light has overcome it. But each of us are gonna have to make a decision at some point in time. Do we believe in the light? Will we become children of the light or we choose to remain in the darkness? So this last passage, this last passage of scripture is really applying to those of us to be encourage us, those that are those of us that are children of light and those that aren't. Those that aren't, he's calling you to himself today he uses his word, he uses my words, he uses the words of those around you to draw him to himself. And he's speaking to us clearly today that he's calling us all to be children of life. He doesn't want any of us to perish. But time is running out. You know, he's inviting us into his work. He is at work all around us all the time. He's at work in your home, he's at work in your school, he's at work at the grocery store. But we've let so many things enter into our lives that we've drowned Him out, that we can't hear Him. You know, right now in this room, there's country music playing. Really, can you hear it? Just close your eyes for a minute. There's country music playing in this room. We just can't hear it. There are sound waves that are carried through this room right now that's playing country music. And if God has any kind of sense of humor right now, when I walk over to this radio, we're going to hear country music. Lord. Oh. No lie. No lie. It's a commercial, but what a great commercial. <laughs> I couldn't have planned that, and I couldn't have planned. I, was, I, was, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to tell the guys on Tuesday. God, you are so good. It's not even funny. So um, it's on a country station right now. And I thought the odds are there's only about 10 minutes of commercials over an hour that I'd come over, pick the right time. I obviously didn't, but it was a great illustration (laughs) that the problem we have is we've tuned out God because we've tuned in all this other stuff in our lives. We've tuned in those things that we think are important, and we've drowned out the voice of God. Those sound waves are going right now. I could tune in any station you want right now, and we could hear music. But we need to adjust the device that receives those sound waves, that receives the Lord. And that device is us. And so what I want to do today, is something that might not be comfortable for some. But I'll tell you what, it's something that I think we need to do. Because I think God has spoken to us today and has reminded us today that he is at work all around us all the time, not just in this place on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, throughout your days, throughout your lives, he's at work. And what I want to do is I'm going to invite Carson up here to join me. We're going to mark this day as a day that we've heard the voice of God, and we're going to respond to him. We're going to put away the distractions of our life for just a moment. And we're going to say, we're going to stop meeting God on our terms and we're going to start entering into His terms. And we're going to start hanging out where God hangs out. We're going to get out of our seats and we're going to come to the altar. And we're going to spend some time in just silence while a really cool song plays that kind of orients our hearts to where we're walking to. And we're going to come to the front of the stage here. And if you can't make it here, you can just stand or kneel or just pray at your seat. But I, I want to I move us because I think God wants us to move. And so I want to invite you to the front as Carson begins to play here and as I pray. And I hope you join me because I want us to mark today as a day in which God is speaking to us that God is working all around us and we're gonna stop meeting with him on our terms, meet with him on his terms. This is not something we normally do as a church, but it's something that I wanna do today because I believe God is calling us to himself. And I want you to put away any anxieties you might have or any awkwardness. We're all a family. And he has been whispering to us all morning, that he wants us in his presence. And so we're gonna come together and we're just gonna spend some time with him and then I'm gonna pray and then I will let you go. But I appreciate you allowing me to, oh, remind us that God is at work in our lives every single day. And I don't want us to be a family who just explains it away as the thunder or an angelic voice. The supernatural is engaging in the naturals this morning. And I want us all to be there and say, it is God. So won't you join me at the front of the stage?